Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello and thanks for joining us on Jen Taylor Rerouting. I'm super, very excited to have Sherry Broder on today. Sherry, how are you? Great. How are you? I'm awesome. I love podcasting so much. It's always a place that I want to be. So you have your own podcast. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, I just launched it actually a couple of months ago. It's the Weight Loss for Foodies podcast. Um, and it's a weekly podcast to where I uh, talk about different aspects of um, how people can change their relationship with food and lose weight and keep it off without dieting. And um, where my approach is that you can be a foodie and lose weight and keep it off. I think this is so exciting because I've talked to people that have some sort of eating disorder, which I think is hugely prevalent in our society. But today we're talking about being like a normal human being that likes to eat food and your story. And I, I'm super excited about this because I think this is so common. Um, I broke my foot a couple years ago and I'm a runner and I put on 15 pounds and that's not the end of the world, but man, I could not get it off because I was eating like I was a runner and I had a broken foot. (laughs) (laughs) So it it kind of doesn't matter. It was still my relationship with food needing to change because of the situation. And until it did, um, I kept the 15 pounds. So it was still that relationship with food. So I want people to be um, as excited as I am because we're, we're all kind of in this. So yeah. bring me back to where, where, what are you doing now with your website first? Let's talk about that first, actually. Yeah. Okay. So I am, um, I've been practicing, well, I've been a lawyer since um, what, nine, the late 80s, but I haven't um, fought with people. I haven't been a litigator since since the late 90s. And then I became an arbitrator and mediator. And I had this nice little arbitration mediation practice. This isn't really your question. Um, no, I want to know what you're doing. Tell me. Tell me the progress. It's okay. Yeah. So what happened was, and I really enjoy being an arbitrator and mediator, but then my own experience with changing my entire relationship with food was just, it just blew me away. And I thought, I have to tell the world. So I became a certified coach. And now I teach other people how to lose weight and change their relationship with food in this miraculous way that happened with me. So that's what my website is about. There's a lot of information on there. Um, You know, I have a blog, I've got the podcast, and some free stuff, a lot of free resources for people who want to learn how, how to get out of this diet culture, which really just doesn't work and is just making us fatter. I agree. And we're one of the most obese nations. If not, are we leading the obesity? Oh, at this yeah. Point? We're, it's something like 70% or 72% of Americans are either overweight or obese. It's just phenomenal the numbers and then and that's what you know that's because i believe it's because people try to lose weight by dieting and that doesn't work i think also and 
jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but we have the portion sizes have changed since like the 50s, the 60s, even the, the sizes of our plates that we purchase at the store is gotten bigger. And then fast food became a huge thing. And trust me, I love how easy it is to be able to go get something to eat. But what we're putting in our bodies is so horrendous that and then we're supersizing it on top of that. Um, and so the the price we're paying for convenience is very high. Well, and that's the exactly the problem is that we have a culture of overeating. So people don't even realize it. I mean, I, I'll say for myself, all these years, I was overweight for most of my life. Um, starting in adolescence, when I stopped getting taller, I started getting wider. And even though I wasn't, you know, obese or terribly overweight, I thought it's just not fair because I know all these other people who can eat, you know, French fries and pop tarts and not gain weight. And I wasn't one of them. And, but what I didn't realize was that I was overeating. And a lot of people, when I start working with them as a coach, they tell me, well, but I don't overeat or I eat healthy. And, you know, you talk about fast food, which is loaded with salt and bad fats to make it taste better. But even eat, you can overeat healthy food because I did that for most of my life. I mean, I was been vegetarian. I'm not vegetarian now, but mostly, but I uh, eat mostly a vegetarian diet, but I was overeating. You can overeat carrots, you know? So we just eat too much. We don't realize we eat too much. And part of it is what you were talking about. You go into a restaurant and they give you a portion that's really enough for two or three people. And if you grew up as part of the clean plate club where you were supposed to eat it all and not just forget what your body needs. You're just supposed to do these dumb things like not waste food in the trash, but you'll waste it by putting it in your body and get it stored as fat. It's, it just makes no sense. I want to jump in on an offshoot here because we have kids and our youngest is eight and she, the pickiest eater I have we have 18 kids and she is the most difficult and so I always vacillate on that subject of cleaning your plate because you're right we you and I are in that yeah. generation where you cleaned your plate and there are starving kids in Africa like right traveling yeah. food down my throat is going to make them <laughs> less starving you know right exactly so what we've tried to do with our kids is given them a portion that is small enough that we know like you should be able to eat all of that. And if you're not, and you're not hungry, that's fine. But you also aren't going to have something else in an hour. Yeah. It's very, very hard to, you know, we're always, we always think we want our kids to eat healthy and we cook healthy and we don't want them to have all this weird control in the kitchen. And at the same time, you don't want to, you don't want them to be overeating, but you also don't want to relinquish your control. We're like, oh no, don't finish any of your vegetables. And of course you can have something else later because yeah. and I, I close the kitchen at a certain point in our house. It's not Burger King. You don't get it your way. And so <laughs> that's been, that's been really challenging just because I'm like, you know, she's eight and we know about how much she should eat and it doesn't have to be a lot but she should be able to clean her plate. So, but because I was so inundated with the clean your plate generation, it's hard yeah. for me to say you need to eat everything on your plate. So we're very conscious of making sure 
there's not that much on the plate. So we know that she should be able to eat that much. So but on the other hand, I, I just, you know, so many of us, you know, I have two kids and um, didn't really have to worry about it so much with them. But really, I think we, we don't trust our own bodies. Mm -hmm. And so we don't think our kids should be trusting theirs because we know better. And so I think in, as long as your child is healthy, um, if she doesn't like to eat a whole lot, mm -hmm. then if she's healthy, then so what? Right. I mean, and, and I see what you're saying. I think what your whole strategy, so she knows ahead of time, this is what you're getting. And if you don't eat it, the kitchen's going to be closed. And so that's an inducement. But if it's not, but if she says, okay, but I'm fine. I'm just not really that hungry mom. Mm -hmm. Then trust, trust that she yep. knows. And obviously, you know, unless she has some kind of a health problem, but so many of us just think we can't, we can't trust our bodies and we can't let our kids trust their bodies. And so we need to, I mean, I don't know how many people, my husband was one who was forced to yeah. clean his plate and eat things that they didn't like. And I hear stories about how his, you know, brother threw up salmon into his shoes or something because his parents made him eat salmon. I, I don't, you know, it was just stories like that. I was like, really? Your parents made you eat something you hate? That's cruel. Right. It's a hard balance in a society that's yeah. all about, and the choices out there, it's, it's more expensive and sometimes not more difficult, but it's more effort sometimes to keep it healthier. Cause we eat very, we eat as healthy as we possibly can. We read all the labels. We're, we're those people, yeah. you know, we want to make, we want to know. What <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So now you're in seventh grade, which we all know is like, that's like the, the most difficult couple of years of most people's lives is middle school and you gained 20 pounds though. I mean, I understand you stopped growing taller, but 20 pounds is quite a bit in a year unless you ha are growing taller. And so I am imagine that was really kind of devastating. Well, and you know, I have to say I was, I was popular and was one of those early bloomers. And so, um, but yeah, definitely I went from, being slim and not never really having to think about it to all of a sudden being overweight, uh, knowing that, noticing that I was overweight. My mother, who was also overweight, uh, did a really good job of like trying to tell us what we should eat as opposed to herself. Um, and so she started bothering me about it. And I didn't know, I didn't get any guidance. You know, the thing that stands out as a kid um, my chore, I was the oldest of three, and my chore was to do the dishes after dinner. And every night at dinner, you know, I would eat whatever I was served, and my mother was a, was a good cook, and I would overeat. I, nobody ever, and then I'd say, oh, I can't do the dishes right now. I have to lie down for a while or lay down for a while. And my mother never said, well, maybe you should just eat a little less and then you wouldn't have a stomach ache after dinner. No one ever suggested that. And so I was overeating then and had no idea. That was what I learned because that's what everybody did. And my father had an unbargantuan appetite and he was overweight, but not considering that he probably ate like 50,000 calories a day. Um, so, so that was 
so that was my experience um, growing up. And then I would try all these crazy diets. And my mother never, she didn't, she encouraged me to do stupid diets because to her, all that mattered was that I had gained weight and I should lose it. Which is crazy backwards. I mean, yeah, yeah you I mean, just, eat, just eat less. Right, just eat less. But if she was overweight and she was on diets and she yep. loved to cook, you just see this pattern of mentality and emotion that, and I grew up with my mom. I, I mean, she's an addict and her food is one of her biggest addictions. Mm-hmm. And that is a horrible, I remember Weight Watchers and yo-yo diets and the smallest she ever was, was a size 12. I mean, I, I just thought never, I don't ever want to feel the way she feels because yeah. there's crying and there's depression and there, everything was attached to how she didn't look. Yeah, didn't yeah. Look, you know, and I, I mean, it was nuts. So I can actually see how your mom was excited you were dieting because that generation that I, I get that I get that that's crazy that she'd let you eat three plates of food, but then encourage you to go on diets. But that was definitely generational. Oh, and she had these ideas like, well, don't eat bread, bread's fattening, but she would, you know, eat chocolate cake every day. And, um, and so it was kind of a crazy thing. And then I think, um, so then I started, I found in some, she used to get these women's magazines, like Women's Day and Family Circle. And there was some kind of a fasting diet there. And so first I tried a four-day fast of no food. And I was 14 years old. Now, can you imagine you're raising a 14-year-old and she's not eating for days on end and you don't say, um, honey, um, what's, you know, what's going on here? But I lost weight. And of course I lost it fast and gained it back just as fast. Um, and my sister actually has an eating disorder and has for a long time. So it was just all part of that. And, and also growing up in a Jewish family where food is pretty central. Um, it just all played into this whole culture of overeating but now it's not just jewish anymore it's no it's everyone well and you know okay you're a foodie you love food you love to cook and so you know food is very emotional that is absolutely Mm. true that in and of itself i don't think is a problem if that's all that it is i mean if you have turkey every thanksgiving and there are good memories behind the turkey at thanksgiving if you're not eating 15 pounds of turkey there's no big deal with that emotion it's that exchange of the emotion for the food like a payment yes and i frankly believe that um that everybody who is overweight unless they have they're one of the very rare people who have some kind of a metabolic disorder that everybody who's overweight is an emotional eater, meaning that they use food to try to fix things that are not right in their life that food can't fix. Because, you know, if, if it's not hunger, food's not going to fix it, at least not on any kind of a rational, permanent way, in any kind of a permanent way. So tell me, I know you... In your email to me, you said that you had pretty good body confidence. Um, I understand that. I always did too. You were 15 to 25 pounds over where you wanted to be. So it wasn't like this overwhelming amount 
and you fell in love with a man who likes skinny women. Tell me about that. <laughs> that, yeah, I'm sure my husband would rather that I'm married to him and have been for 30 okay, years. Okay, that was the other question I was going to ask you. Is that the man you married? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's, what's really funny is, okay, so I was always voluptuous was the word. Um, so, you know, large breasts and I was curvy, but a, a lot of men found me really sexy. And, um, and I wasn't, you know, like this Gwyneth Paltrow toothpick, but I was, you know, I, I did, I, I, and I wished I would have weighed maybe 15 pounds less, but it de definitely didn't affect my confidence until later on when I gained even more weight when I started practicing law. But anyway, so yeah, so um, my husband definitely liked skinny women and it was, that really did have some effect on my body confidence. And I can't say I've been through a bunch of therapy about this, although if I did, I, I think on some level that fed my emotional eating because I felt like he was rejecting my body, which I was always even though it wasn't perfect, I was always happy with it. And other men thought it was really nice. And, and then here's the man who I love and want to spend my life with. And he's, you know, he didn't bug me about it. He didn't say, oh, you should lose some weight. But I knew that he didn't find it as my body as attractive as a lot of other men I had dated and or knew. So that was, that was hard. And I just, I do wonder whether kind of um, psychologically that did cause me to just have, do the opposite thing of what might've been good, which, you know, was I gained more weight. Right. And you were also going, you went into the law firm. I mean, you started practicing at 32, you told me. Right. And being a litigator, Oh. Yeah, and just all of those factors from growing up kind of, and you gained 40 pounds. Yeah, I was, it was, I found, you know, some people are born to be lawyers and they're really great at it. I was an art major in college. Um, <laughs> wow. And then I worked on Capitol Hill and some of my friends were applying to law school. I was a legislative aide on Capitol Hill for a few years and, and um, some of my friends were applying to law school and the economy was bad. And I said, oh, what the heck? I'll just go to law school. It was just no planning. It was totally, um, I just winged it. And I got in and, um, and I just was not one of those people who's just a natural at being a lawyer. It totally did not fit my personality. And after I had my Myers-Briggs type done later, I realized that I was, my Myers-Briggs type was the exact opposite of the one that had the highest concentration of lawyers. What are you? I'm an ENFP. I'm an ENFJ. I wondered. <laughs> yes. So I'm like, I, now, like people have said to me, you should be a lawyer. You have these great discussions. And I'm like, I would hate it. You, yeah. like, my, my number one profession would be a pastor. Mm -hmm. literally in the Myers not so I get it I get what you're saying it's it's very odd to me that you chose that but you did and you winged it well and you saying that it's funny because when I, I talk about what my dream job would be and as you're interviewing me right now I think my dream job would be Terry Gross 
as you know, doing those fresh air interviews of all these amazing people. I would yeah. love that. So, um, yeah, but anyway, I did not like practicing law. I found it very stressful. Um, you know, it was an intellectually challenging, but I, but I started eating compulsively. I was, you know, I had done emotional eating before then, but here I was every day I would be so stressed out and the secretaries would put junky candy, like, you know, M&M peanuts and Hershey's kisses and stuff in, in these bowls. And I would reward myself by eating those. And so, yeah, I gained about 10 pounds a year in the four years I was at the firm on top of the, you know, maybe 20 pounds I already had that uh, I wanted to lose. Um, and so on the one hand, I was all happy and newly married and my first child was born and I was just very unhappy practicing law um, and ate, which did obviously, no, did that help my situation? Did that change my good job? Then the job that I did not like? Um, no. And so I just, all it did was make me fatter. And it's interesting because you wrote that you're a vegetarian. So don't us all in our mind, we're like, oh, she's a healthy vegetarian. And I'm not. I've never wanted to be vegetarian or <laughs> vegan. I'm more paleo. And as a runner, like when I'm done doing a half marathon, I literally, I'm like, I want to eat half a cow. So that's where my brain is, you know. <laughs> but you're, you, we equate being a vegetarian with being super healthy because your concentration of vegetables is, is much higher than mine is. And my only concern would be, are you getting enough protein from sources? You never think of the M&Ms. Like, that's vegetarian, right? You're not breaking any vegetarian rules. You wrote in here that you ate a Ben & Jerry's brownie ice cream sandwich. I am from Vermont. And when you wrote that, I was like, oh, my God, nobody knows what those are. Like, I know. They don't make them anymore. I know. It's a, tra well, it's a travesty, but not a travesty. But I can see why. I mean, those were awesome. You they were the to. best cheese. I, I don't even like brownies or cake, and I'm not a huge ice cream person, but those Ben & yeah. Jerry brownie, oh, it's like Nirvana in a wrapper. Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous. And so, so when you wrote good. that, I was like, oh, yeah, I would have gained 40 pounds on those. <laughs> <laughs> Just that alone. Could do Just it. that alone. So I love that you're saying like your job you couldn't stand, but outside of work was the happiest time in your life. Tell me about that contradiction. Yeah, that was, that was really, it was, you know, I look back and it was a really good law firm and it was a good job and all that other stuff. It just was not the right job for me. Um, and so here I was, I wanted to spend more time with my child and the people at the firm worked like crazy and they were these kind of super lawyer live eat drink and sleep law um, so it was really a bad fit for me but I was stressed out I'd wake up in the middle of the night and think about all the stuff I'd forgotten to do that might be malpractice and all that <clears throat> um, that sort of thing and then you know, what, how long was it? Three years into it, six months after I joined the firm, I got married. And then like three years later, um, I had my first child. And around the time of her first birthday, I had my first jury trial. 
And it just, and that was when I was like, this is just not working. But it really, what I wish had happened, if I had thought, if I had done the kind of thing that I talked to my clients about and stepped back and said, okay, I'm wolfing down M&M peanuts and um, Ben and Jerry's brownie bars, which I'm also lactose intolerant, but I didn't know it then. I was in, I was in total denial about that. Um, and, you know, why am I doing that? Oh, it's because I'm really stressed out at work. So how am I going to change the work stress? Change jobs. Because the sugar was not fixing anything. It was just making it worse. I was just gaining more and more weight. So, um, so it was it was a tough time. And even when I when I left, and I left, you know, it was a pretty good paying job to start my own um, arbitration and mediation practice. We went through some difficult times financially because we didn't have two incomes. But I was still a lot happier than being in the wrong job. It still took me a while, though, to make that connection um, because with, between the food and, and eating for stress, because even um, when I had a lot less stress, when I was my own boss, I still associated, I, I had gotten that mental connection between eating and job stress. So if I was did an arbitration and I was writing a difficult decision, I would think, oh, well, why don't I go in the kitchen and get something to eat, even if I wasn't hungry? So that was still there from my unpleasant years practicing law in the more traditional sense as a litigator as opposed to as an arbitrator where I'm, I'm the neutral person. And, I, and that suited me a lot better, helping people resolve conflict in a in a kind of more friendly sort of a way and efficient way, so. Well, also you'd had this pattern as a kid growing up too. I, I think we get in our own way so much with everything that we don't take that step back and think, oh wait, I'm equating stress with food. And so that's where I need, right. that's where something needs to change. I need to not put food in the picture when there's stress involved. I need to do something else. It, you know, we aren't good at breaking this stuff down. You just feel like when you're stressed, you're doing whatever you need to do to make yourself feel better and be less stressed because that's the bottom line is that you want to be less stressed. When that's what I tell, you know, I tell people because then people beat themselves up about it. It's like, right. oh my God, I just ate a half a package of Oreos and I'm such an idiot and a fat pig and all this stuff. And it's like, no, well, basically what you were doing was using you were trying to care for yourself in the way you know how, and it's not a good way, it's not an effective way, but it is an attempt at self-care. And what we try to do, what I try to do with my clients is teach them what real self-care is, because frankly, pumping a lot of sugar and refined flour into your body, not that I'm against eating those, I love to bake and I, I don't have any foods on the off limits list. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I, I mentioned, I don't, I'm not really, I'm not strictly vegetarian anymore, but I don't eat, you know, mammals basically. <laughs> um, so that's off the list on, by my choice, as opposed to be, uh, based on some diet idea. But I, um, 
you know, so, but taking that in to your body as a way to try to fix what's wrong is really kind of an abuse of our bodies. We just, but it is, we're abusing our bodies in our attempt to care for ourselves. I love that you brought up self-care. I want to get back to that. I want to discuss a little bit. You are, you're also in this process still doing what most people do. You're buying the diet books. You're, you would even lose weight sometimes, but because your self-care was feeding yourself and your de-stressing was feeding yourself because you're right. There should, the second you put something on the off limits list is the second that you will obsess about it until you eat three times the amount you normally would. Right. And so I love that you just, you're like, nothing's off limits. Everything should be moderation. And when you know that you can have it, but you're choosing not to, that's much different than telling yourself that you can't. Oh yeah. It's so, and you know, you had said something that stuck in my mind. You said after you finish, you know, you go do a a race or something, you want to eat a ton of meat. Well, that's your, you listening to your body. If your body wants meat, then that's probably what you need. But we don't listen to our bodies. We have these lists of the people I work with have these lists of, I should eat this. I shouldn't eat this. And I should never, I'm not, should never have this in the house because I can't resist it. And they tell, people tell themselves these stories and then they believe them and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, if you believe that you can't control yourself around, uh, you're from Vermont, Lake Champlain chocolates. (laughs) (laughs) You're killing me. (laughs) Yes. Right. I love those. I love those too. Yeah. But I mean, I allow myself, I actually have some in my office right now. Mm-hmm. I don't even think about them. And if, you know, I do get hungry for a snack mid-afternoon. And if it turns out that it's one of those days where I really feel like I want chocolate, then I'll have it as long as I'm hungry and I'm not working. I'm just enjoying the chocolate. Because if you're going to eat things like chocolate or ice cream or whatever, we eat those because they taste so good. And yet so many people just wolf them down while they're distracted watching TV or trying to pretend that they're not eating the food because then they'll feel guilty. And so they don't even enjoy it. Right. So I may, I said, okay, if I'm going to have some chocolate, I'm just going to really have a few bites and really savor it. And then I feel like I had that experience and I don't, I feel satisfied. I don't feel like I need to eat the whole package of chocolate. That's so crazy. I'm so glad that you brought that up because you're right. We don't even take the time to enjoy it. I know that Cadbury mini eggs, I I don't like a lot of sugar and I don't like much milk chocolate, but there's something about Cadbury mini eggs. It's like crack. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it might even be that they come out once a year and they sell out really fast. So if you don't like jump on the Cadbury mini eggs in March, you're going to miss out. They do not go on clearance. It doesn't exist. And I, it makes me so happy that once a year I can go pick these up, but then I want to make them last. Yeah. Because, so I really enjoy every moment. Now, I did just find out I can order them in bulk on Amazon. Um, <laughs> it, 
And it was just a silly conversation where I'm like, yeah, if I want to get them, I can figure out a way. And when I did, I was like, oh, wait, no, I, I, <laughs> I know I can get, but there's something about the Champlain chocolate, something special that you love yeah. that when you have it and it's limited, but you're not, it's not deprivation. Yeah. It's, it's not. just that you limit yourself and you really enjoy it. It's so much, di the experience is so much different having Cadbury mini eggs once a year at Easter well, Be because it's like a, such a treat. Well, and if you ate too many Cadbury mini eggs, you would feel like crap. Yeah. I mean, so if you eat a few of them and you really taste them and enjoy it, you're satisfied with a few and, or even one, I mean, who knows, depending on the situation. But if you just kind of chomp down handfuls of them, you would feel really lousy. So why do that? And like, because I don't crave a lot of that. I think once you get on a healthier diet and you're not eating emotionally, you yeah. may crave that, whatever that thing is. And like, I, I, it would make me physically feel sick to eat more than one champagne chocolate. <laughs> one would make me feel very satisfied and I enjoyed it. But you do hit a point where your body is not craving that either to reduce your stress or because it's used to it. And so I love that. I real you're right. When you really take time to enjoy it, when it's more limited but you're not depriving yourself and you take that time, it is a completely different emotional experience. Well, what was so different for me too with going going from being someone who is an emotional eater, um food obsessed, mostly cuz I mean, I love good food. I've always been a foodie. Um, I love to cook. I love to bake. Um, my husband thinks I'm like the best baker in the state of Maine, but Allison Prey got nominated for a James Beard Award and I didn't, so I'm obviously <laughs> not number one. Um, but anyway, but I am. But baking, is that's one of my superpowers. Um, so, but knowing, I just made these chocolate cookies this morning that had a, a one pound and 12 ounces of chocolate in like three dozen cookies. And wow. <laughs> I haven't even felt like eating one yet. So, but that was what was so amazing though, was that I could go from being someone who would go on these diets that were miserable experiences, um, not reach my goal or even maybe get close to my goal, give up, look for an excuse to give up because it sucked being on a diet anyway. And then um, learning that actually I, I stopped desiring to overeat. That was the thing that I, because I never really thought about, you know, when someone's trying to lose weight, they're not thinking about what, what happens when they get there other than, oh, I'll be able to wear that bathing suit or I'll be able to get this dress and I'll be able to wear a size eight or whatever that is. But we don't think, what are we going to, eat like what is our relationship with food going to be like when we get there and that's why everybody who does lose weight on diets those few gain it back because then they go off the diet they go back to eating the way they did that helped them gain all the weight in the first place and what was so amazing for me was that i didn't do that that i didn't go on a diet i changed how i was eating i changed why i was eating and so there wasn't anything to go off. So I didn't gain the weight back. And I stopped, I, I figured out 
after all those years when I walked away from the table and needed to lie down on the couch because I felt crappy, um, that I hated that feeling. And so now if I'm in, like, I love Indian food. And if I'm in an Indian restaurant and I've eaten and I'm, I'm feeling just right, I, I feel lightly full, and I want to eat more just because it tastes so good, I think, you know, do I really want to feel crappy? I feel great now. The food was delicious. And I stop because I hate that feeling. I never thought that was possible. I just, it wasn't even on the radar. And that's the thing that's so exciting about what your transformation was and how you help other people is that a lot of this is just not even on the radar. I, I also, I want to jump in because we talk a lot about diets and I talk Ooh. about my diet. My diet is just what I eat. It's what right. I put in my Diet's not this big four-letter word that's so terrible. Diet is truly what you eat. So, yeah. you know, when people are like, are you on a diet? I'm like, no, it, I just, it is a diet. It is my, this is my diet and this is your diet. It's just what you eat. It doesn't have yeah. to be some big, terrible thing. And I think when we, it's the same when we get rid of the derogatory connotations towards certain words or certain feelings, isn't it amazing how your mindset changes? If diet's just what you eat. Well, but I mean, diet does have those two meaning, meanings, the, the meaning of, um, okay, I eat, well, when I was eating a vegetarian diet, it was not that I was on a diet or trying to lose weight, but that my diet consisted of no, um, meat or chicken or fish right and but that's that's a different meaning than i'm on a diet meaning that there's a, a bunch of foods i can't have mm -hmm. that i can only have certain amounts of certain foods and where there are a lot of and where it's something where you can't um sustain it so so for you right. whatever it is that you're eating what your your diet consists of um is something that is the same whether it's today or whether you're on vacation or you're at a party. You're still going to eat essentially the things that you like and the quantities that make you feel good as opposed to feel like you're ready to puke. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a horrible feeling. That is an awful feeling. Yeah. So why do people you know, they go into Cheesecake Factory and they're served these portions that really are enough for three or four people. And they feel like they somehow have to eat as much of it as they can. And then they walk out feeling horrible. Yep. I don't want the word regret attached to anything that I'm eating. If I regret eating that, then that's a negative connotation of whatever the food is. So when yeah. I, if, if I was meeting you for lunch and you said, let's go to the cheesecake factory. And I thought, Oh God, I mean like that's so overkill. Right. But it was your favorite. So <laughs> literally when that plate comes, I will look at it and think, I mean, I can tell by the volume probably how much is going to make me feel good to eat. So I will literally cut it and slide some yeah. over to one side and know that that's a, that's, it's like a, the, is it, is it the Hobbit second breakfast? You know, that's <laughs> right, second right. lunch, right? That's an elevensies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so whether it's later that day, 
or the following day. I don't feel yeah. regret that I ate too much or regret that I wasted it or regret that I, that should not be part of eating. Eating should be no. a fun social. I should be thinking about how much fun I'm going to have at Cheesecake Factory having lunch with you and how, <laughs> what a great time it's going to be and exciting and look forward to it instead of feeling that those feelings of regret, like eating the whole package of Oreos. Yeah. So, and, and I, I have to say, I've only been to Cheesecake Factory once and the yeah, fact me that too. <laughs> So ridiculous. I just thought I took my my now 27 year old when she was in middle school and I took a bunch of her friends to Boston and for the day. And but yeah, it's just it that kind of thing. It it troubles me that restaurants that certain restaurants, obviously not all of them, encourage people to overeat. Yeah. And that our whole food industry, when you, you're watching TV and there's a commercial that's like, you want this now, don't you? Well, no, I just ate dinner, so not really, but that suggestive thing. I read somewhere that something like 40, 45% of, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, um, that it, it's effective. Let's just say that kind of advertising effectively gets people who aren't hungry to go eat. Oh gosh, that's so scary. It's sad. It's like it's a it's a health problem. It that's is a health problem. Death. Well, and we're supersizing. And what's interesting is yeah. that if you go to a um a more upscale four or five star restaurant and what where the quality of the food and the plating, how beautiful they present it, is very mm -hmm. important. And they bring it to you and it looks like you're going to starve if that's all you eat. <laughs> And that's not true because the food is prepared better. It's higher quality. It's more the ingredients because good ingredients taste different than crappy ingredients. Oh, and yeah. you shouldn't be able to eat as much of them, but it shouldn't look like, well, you're on a starvation diet because you're eating really good, healthy food. You do not need that volume. But in our minds, we look at that and think that's not going to be, I'm going to need to order three of these, you know, <laughs> to make a dent and that's not true but we're so inundated with volume yeah and msg and all kinds of crap that they put in it that makes us feel a different way that we don't even realize that you're you have this mindset shift so now for you your mom had some issues this was let's talk about your wake-up call and how you shifted things because i love this part of the story okay <laughs> tell me ask? about your mom and what happened okay. to her Oh, and my mother's stroke and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically with the whole food obsession, my mother raised someone who overate and someone else who had bulimia and, and my brother's overweight too, but my younger sister is, has had an eating disorder. But then my mother, when she was, she was overweight, increasingly gaining weight, even though she talked like a fat phobic kind of a person. Um, she obviously was, had not been able to lose weight and keep it off herself. Then when she was 63 years old, she had a heart attack and she had triple bypass surgery. Um, then went ahead and, um, did not do what they told her to do about exercising and all changing her diet. And so when she was 72, she had, um, so she had two open heart surgeries actually. And then at age 72, she had a profound stroke, which permanently disabled her 
uh, where she can never walk again. And her, a third of her brain was basically fried by the stroke and she had vascular dementia as a result. And it was very sad that she spent the rest of her life, you know, in a wheelchair and mostly in a nursing home. Cause so anyway, so for me, that was, that was a real wake up call. Oh, and another kind of odd thing about my mother was when my father died and she decided she was going to start dating, she lost 55 pounds. <laughs> it's like divorce. I mean, there's certain things where people just completely change their life. You can't do it while you're with the person, but holy cow, that's huge. But with a heart attack, that wasn't an incentive. Having a heart attack wasn't an incentive to lose weight. But dating and having to get naked in her 60s was some reason. We have to have priorities. <laughs> so, it's crazy. That's crazy. But, you know, by that point, having, having by the time this was happening with my mother, and um, when she had her stroke, I was in my early 50s. And, um, and I had almost given up by that point, you know, I still wanted to be thinner. I really was kind of almost at my all time heaviest non-pregnant weight. And, um, but I'd almost given up. And then I was on Martha Beck's email list <laughs> and I got an email about this free webinar that Brooke Castillo and Susan Hyatt were doing about something called weight school. And so I said, oh, what the heck? And I signed up for it and I watched it and I thought, wow, this really resonates with me. And I was somebody who, even though I've, I've always been an extravagant person in some ways, in most ways, I would never spend, no, that was $327 to join their group weight school thing. So, but I immediately, I, I did it. I paid the money, I dove in, and I stuck with it. Um, I've obviously made mistakes as everybody does, and, and, but I didn't use them as an excuse to give up because it was not a diet. So they were teaching essentially the things that I teach my clients now about you know, eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're lightly full, um, ending emotional eating, and that sort of thing. And so I started losing weight. It was not fast. It was fairly slow, but it was steady and it was almost effortless because it was so natural to just, okay, so what does my body want? Okay, well, I'm in the mood for a big salad today with pistachio nuts and blue cheese, you know, or whatever. And I would just have that and I would eat it mindfully. So I'd really enjoy it and I'd feel satisfied with what I just ate. And then the next time I would eat would be when I got hungry, not when I got stressed out because I had too much work to do. Isn't and that just, amazing? That's amazing. So you, you kind of reprogrammed your thought pattern behind food. That's what it's all about. In fact, that's what they were teaching. That's what, what I teach people is it's all about your thinking. And so if you're thinking, um, well, and, and I'll give you the example, because for me, the big thing was eating because of work stress. Um, and then, then now running two businesses, there's a fair amount of work stress that goes with, with that. But I don't, even, I don't even think about eating now because of work stress. Right. It just, it's not my habit. 
that's what my habit, it was my habit to do that. And so what I started thinking, let's say I, I was working on a really difficult arbitration decision and I think, oh, you know, I should go get something to eat. It'll make it easier to do this. And then I, then I would look at my thinking and I'd say, wait a minute. So I'm thinking I should go eat to help me do my work when really eating is taking me away from my work. The time when I go walk into the kitchen, I can't be working. And food is not going to make it any easier to write this decision. So that's crazy. I'm not going to do that. And I started coming up with all these little mantras um, that I would think about, you know, I don't seek pleasure from food at the expense of my health. Or um, just, uh, you know, if hunger isn't the problem, food isn't the solution, that kind of thing. And so I would catch myself each time I had that, those thoughts in my head, and I would think a new thought, I would substitute a different thought that would, and would not go eat. And if I, after doing that enough times, I just broke that habit. That's amazing. I mean, I know it's possible, you know, you have to, so I'll give you an example of something that gets programmed into us that salt is bad. Too much salt is bad for you. So as a runner, I wasn't feeling very well a couple of years ago. So I went into the doctor and, you know, I, I talked about my schedule and stuff and he realized that I had, I wasn't eating like nearly enough salt. Mm -hmm. My body needed salt. Like he said, you need to increase your salt intake by a lot or you're going to have to take like take salt tablets and stuff. Right, and right. when you're running, you should just have them on hand so that because your body just blows through salt and you have so little in your diet normally because I do all my own cooking almost all, always, you know. And for me, it's the, and it's the opposite thing like okay, salt isn't always bad, right? And you yeah. it's a mindset switch. Well, that's so funny that you mentioned the salt because I did I don't run anymore. I've got this ankle that I broke and it's but, so I can't, but I, I never really was into running all that much anyway. But, but when I ran and I had read the same thing, oh, salt is bad. And so I right. stopped eating much salt and I started getting lightheaded. Yeah. And the same thing. And the doctor said, well, you know, why aren't you eating salt? Because it's bad for you. Because we ingrain our brains in the thinking a certain way. And so it's like with sugar. I mean, I think, okay, sugar is not something that's good for us, but eating a little bit of sugar is not going to hurt anyone right. and and when you think that you're addicted to sugar that doesn't work either because that's giving up all your control right and all of a sudden you're the victim you know you're this poor addict who can't do anything about it um so i think that's why i try to teach people to eat in tune with their body's needs so if you're eating in tune with your body's needs and you go out for a run you're going to want to have salt. And if right. you come home and you want to eat a steak, then that's what your body needs. Right. It's, 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 my body doesn't tell me it wants steak and I don't give it steak, but if right. yours does, then listen to it. Exactly. And I love that this is so much more intuitive. And part yeah. of that intuition is stopping when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not based on the size of the food on your plate, 
but based upon your body saying, okay, I've had enough of that right now and I feel good. And, you know, if my, if one of your kids goes running out towards the street with cars rushing and you have to go run after him, that you won't like, oh, I've got this horrible cramp because you didn't eat too much. Right. So you, you feel good and you can live life and not, not be so weighted down also by the mental aspects of, oh, what am I going to eat? What should I eat? What shouldn't I eat? And all those stupid food rules that don't serve most people. No, and I love how much you talk about how important food is to you and how great you are at cooking and baking and that that's not ever something that has to go away. Mm -hmm. But your body will be more intuitive about what it wants and when it's done. And if you made all those cookies this morning and you don't want them for the next three days, that, that doesn't mean anything bad. That's, that's fine. <laughs> you don't need to eat them. them. <laughs> right, exactly. That that's but you don't have to give up the thing that you love. You don't have to look at, well, now I can't bake anymore because I'll eat the whole thing. No, you can bake as much as you want and freeze it. There's, there's well, you can be you. Well, and you know, when I wrote a blog post maybe a year ago about how there's all these celebrity chefs and other people who are in the food industry, like Nigella Lawson and all these people who are slim and healthy and they work around food and food is their life it's their career they create with food and yet they're trim and healthy because they've obviously gotten to that same balance where they can make fabulous food and eat the amount that's right for their body and not feel like they have to eat everything that's in sight yeah um, and that's the case and I, I love that you're combining that. You still have all of your same passions related to food. And now you, you said the weight didn't come off quickly, but you yeah. started seeing a difference and a, a lot of shifts in your attitude and the weight did come off. Yeah. I mean, I felt, it felt really good while it was coming off. Um, in fact, I still remember, and I tell this story to like all my clients because it was the seminal moment for me. Um, my, one of my daughters lives in Chicago. And I had gone out there four weeks into this weight, into weight school. I had lost four pounds. I was thrilled. And um, I went to Chicago for a conference. And also it was my daughter's birthday. And I took her and my now son-in-law to dinner and all this sort of stuff. And I decided I'm really going to stick with the program. You know, this is easy. I'm just not going to, I'm going to get out of those habits of like when I go to get my chai, also buying a scone if I already ate breakfast, you know, I'd, right. Just, I was very mindful of my choices, but then I got home um, and I got on the scale and it, my weight was up two pounds. And I thought, oh God, I was doing my best. My weight's up four pounds and I felt really discouraged, didn't know what to do. And I got on the call with Brooke in the group and I told her that and she said, well, what are you going to do now? Are you going to go back to the way you used to eat? Because you know what results you'll get if you do that. And I just realized I don't even have a choice here. I just need to pick myself up, brush myself off, and just keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, the, I didn't really gain two pounds. Like two days later, it was back down to whatever it had been. And it was just, it became my way of life so that I was eventually losing weight 
without even thinking about it because I was just eating less. And I have to say, I probably eat oh, 60 to 65% of what I used to. Wow, that's crazy. But that was I, all that my body needed. I was overeating all that other time. Right. No, I think it's what's crazy is that that 65% of what you were eating is what you should have been eating. Yeah. You know, I mean, that extra 35% was excess. Overeating. It yeah. was overeating and I was storing it as fat. And she wondering, why am I gaining weight? Well, duh. <laughs> my body. And, and the same thing happens to my clients. They they inevitably find out that they're eating between 50 to 75% of what they used to eat, depending on their situation. And they're happy and satisfied with less because they're actually tasting their food, listening to their body, enjoying what they love. And it's not hard. It's not like when you have all these restrictive, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. And you can, you know, forcing people who go on diets where they're forced to be hungry. Um, you know, like if they're eating 500 calories a day because they're intermittent fasting and they're ravenous. To me that, you know, some people, if it works for them, fine, no judgment about any of that. But, um, but if they're eating that way, I think that opens up the possibility for overeating, that deprivation. So I don't think that it's a good thing to, to do that. And if your body, if you're hungry, if you're really hungry, your body needs food. It's like you with the salt or whatever, like your body needs salt, give it some. Right. I'm and hungry. it's recognizing that and not feeling all of the negative emotions about the food, no yeah. matter what it is, it, that it's, it's okay because you're doing it for the right reason, even if it's Cadbury mini eggs and you're eating three. It, it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> three Cadbury mini eggs is not going to like no. make you all of a sudden blimp out, right? No, no, it's not. But eating a five pound bag, you know, three times a week, that, that's not a good thing. So this made such a huge difference in your life. It was the best money that you spent, that $327. Yes. And you learned how to take care of yourself in a positive way and now you're giving it back which i love yeah i really it's like i was so excited that i stopped desiring to overeat that i got to this place where my relationship with food and eating was so light and balanced it was not weighing on me i was not i was spending a whole lot less time that I used to spend obsessing about, should I eat this? Should I not eat that? What am I going to wear? I look too fat in this. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of time that people who are either overweight or otherwise unhappy with their body or their relationship with food, because I do, I do coach some people who are not overweight, but have a food obsession. Mm -hmm. And um, so they spend so much time and energy over it. And it's really, there are so many other things we could be putting our energy to. So I wanted to spread the word to whoever would listen um, and try to help people get to this place where they could eat whatever they loved and have this peaceful relationship with food and eating and be healthier. I'm so thankful you took your experience and turned it around to pay it forward. 
You, so we can find you at sherrybroder.com and I have that link. Your website is amazing. It's really easy to navigate. You have a ton of information on there because I stalk you before I interview you. <laughs> <laughs> it's creepy and sexy at the same time. So <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And I encourage people in any issue with eating and emotion to reach out to you for the tools that you're offering. Yeah, and there's lots of there's lots of free stuff on my website too. So, um, yes, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. It was so much fun. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.